Hello and welcome to day 88 of our Bible reading course. After 1 Corinthians had been written and sent off by Paul, some kind of crisis seems to have erupted in the church there, centred around an individual whose behaviour was very much out of order. We're not exactly sure what form this took, but Paul had made a painful visit to try and sort it out, followed by a letter of tears where he really laid down the law. Now, Titus has just returned from Corinth, meeting Paul somewhere in Macedonia. It's good news. The people have followed his instruction and finally disciplined the man involved. For now, at least, things have settled down. Paul then writes to Corinthians to encourage them. It's one of his most personal letters, explaining both the joy and the cost of his ministry. It ranges over a number of topics in a less structured way than the first letter and in the process gives us a treasure chest of beautiful and memorable verses. Today's passage is 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14 to chapter 6 verse 13. Let's pray. Gracious and eternal God, once again I ask that you would free me from distractions and help me now to concentrate and hear your voice. In Jesus' name. Amen. But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession, and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity, as those sent from God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read, 
it has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers, so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. 
Therefore we are always confident, and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due to us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them, and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, In the time of my favour I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favour, now is the day of salvation. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path, so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way in great endurance, in troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonour, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you, we are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children. 
open wide your hearts also. There are at least two reasons why Paul writes as he does in the chapters we've just read. Firstly, he wants to re-establish his bonds of love and fellowship with the church he had founded. Like a parent sometimes does, he'd had to be very firm with these spiritual children of his, saying some harsh things. But now he wants to put that behind them and restore the relationship of trust they had known before. So he opens his heart to them in a number of ways. Secondly, there are growing voices of dissatisfaction in Corinth with him as a leader and apostle. He wasn't a trained orator, as many were who came to the city, and maybe even to the church. He didn't charge a fee for his preaching and teaching, as more respectable philosophers and speakers did. In fact, he really wasn't a terribly impressive or charismatic figure at all, when compared to many others they knew. Paul specifically addresses their concerns later on in the letter, but even here he argues that they're judging him incorrectly, by a worldly standard, and he presents a picture of his ministry that is characterised by hard work and suffering, through which God is glorified and the church is being built up. Paul's service for Christ has come at an enormous personal cost, and that, rather than human commendation or accolade, is the mark of a true apostle. I've kept the comments brief today because I want to give more time to thinking about and applying some of these powerful verses. The incense that wafted out from a Roman victory procession brought joy and celebration to the crowds that had gathered, but spelled impending death for the prisoners who'd been defeated. How does this picture encourage me to live out my faith fully and openly, without worrying about what people might think of me? After describing the greater glory of the new covenant in comparison with the old one, Paul speaks of our contemplating or reflecting the Lord's glory, as with unveiled faces. Pausing the verse there for a moment, is this something I invest in doing in one way or another? If so, do I notice a difference that it makes in me? If not, how could I make a start? So that the rest of the verse might be a genuine reality, as I am transformed into God's image with ever-increasing glory through the Holy Spirit. What a privilege that is. Treasure in jars of clay is the next metaphor, bearing the death of Christ so that his life might be revealed in me. How does this help me cope with all the limitations, struggles and imperfections I wrestle with each day? Can God still use me? There's more in this passage about resurrection to supplement yesterday's reading. Our current earthly body is likened to a tent, while the future resurrection body will be a permanent construction. Does this give me hope to persevere with any physical ailments I suffer from, or just the process of getting older? Finally, the one about being an ambassador of Jesus, the King of Kings, his appointee and representative wherever we are, bringing a message of reconciliation and salvation 
so that what was once an aroma of death might instead become the fragrance of eternal life. Maybe I can choose one of these familiar images to hold on to for a while longer today and ask God to speak to me further. Lord God, my Heavenly Father, I bless you indeed for shining your light into my heart to give me the knowledge of your glory displayed in the face of Jesus. I may not be the Apostle Paul, but help me, I ask, to be a genuine and authentic ambassador for you, living no longer for myself but compelled by the love of Christ to count the cost of discipleship and serve you with all boldness and courage. Thank you for placing within me that most extraordinary deposit of your Holy Spirit to assure me of your presence and guarantee my future destiny. Though I might feel I have nothing to give you, yet in Jesus I possess everything. Hallelujah. And at this time of enormous upheaval in our world, may there be many for whom the gospel call is heard and responded to in repentance, faith and and reconciliation with you. Now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.